0: My co-hosts, Nick Best, and Akeem Williams. We're going to have some amazing guests on the show. Buckle up tight, because we're going to be talking about the shit you're not supposed to be talking about. We're going to be discussing anything and everything it takes to become a Legend of Iron Legends of Iron is brought to you by MuscleMethod. Muscle is the creator of Carnivore pure beef protein isolate beef builds muscle and carnivore is the world's number one selling beef protein welcome to another edition of legends of iron i'm john anderson as always with me my partners in crime nick best and williams we have got a killer show for you we have got a show that is amazing because we have got a guest that he literally embodies success. You go to the nearest dictionary and you look up the word success, you're going to find his picture every goddamn time. We're talking business. We're talking, he's a pro bodybuilder. He's set world records in powerlifting. And if I was swinging from the other side of the plate, he would be my guy. Stan Hefferty, welcome to
1: the show. Hey, thanks, brother. What an introduction. I really don't know where to go with that from there.
0: <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you, I've the what I'm dying to know, and I'm sure what everybody else is dying to know, is you clearly have a, forgive the term secret, but you've got some methodologies to your madness and how you're so successful in everything you do. I'd love to, for you to talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, you know, I... To be honest with you, a lot of us have that type A personality, you know, in order to be in sports. I find that amongst a lot of athletes that I work with now. Uh, plus, I had a bit of ADHD. I just uh, thrived in environments where I could repeat certain behaviors every day. And bodybuilding, powerlifting really, uh, you know, lent itself well to that kind of, uh, of personality. All of the daily routines, the checklists, the uh, repeat this, repeat that, day in, day out, hours of sleep, number of meals, uh, workouts, the progressions, planning, recording, tracking, uh, that just lent itself well to me. And so uh, it's been a long journey. I've I've tried to find out from everybody I could over the years and every bit of thing, everything I could read, If there were any tips or tricks or secrets, and I would love to share those with folks. But to be honest, this is uh, is a matter of just busting your ass, rewind, repeat. And I found the same thing to be true in business. And I've I've said that in a rant of mine. I said, anybody who's successful, highly successful athlete, the same amount of discipline, time management, consistency that you pour into becoming a, a great athlete in any sport. If you were to put that same amount of energy into any income-producing venture, you'd be a millionaire within five years. Just wake up every morning and grind and keep repeating the same behaviors that uh, uh, that have shown you success. Uh, absolutely. I'm, I don't think business is any different than sport in that regard.
0: Yeah, I would say, I mean, clearly, I've heard you say that in the past, that, you know, if you take – if you're successful – in a, in a sport you take that you take that effort you take the commitment and you apply it to business that you're going to be very successful very quickly so i your kind of commitment sounds like it was kind of one of the underlying factors in this whole thing yeah
1: yeah and you know to be honest the training was always the fun part that's the easy part we love that you know it, it's just once you get hooked on that, that that's, you want to go to the gym all the time. It's outside the gym, having the discipline and consistency to do the things that allow you to recover from and prepare for the next bout of training. That was the piece that uh, I was really doggedly uh, consistent with, and mainly as a matter of necessity, because I was undersized. I was 140 pounds as a 18-year-old freshman in college, and all the guys I were training with were much bigger, and I had dreams and goals and aspirations of being a a bodybuilder, a pro bodybuilder. And when you're, you know, back in 1985, uh, if you wanted to be a pro bodybuilder at six feet tall, all there was was a heavyweight class and you needed to be 250 pounds of shredded muscle in order to get that one pro card they offered every year to the overall winner of the USA. Were the three that offered every year at the nationals to the three classes that were there? They offered four pro cards a year, and so the um, you know the top amateurs were deep, uh, and any amateur that won a pro show back in the late '80s and early '90s, uh, like the Flex Wheelers and and the uh, the rest of that group they would immediately that same year place in the top 10 in the Olympia. They were that good because there were so many guys vying for so few pro cards. Uh, I, you know, benefited of course, from the master's division. I turned pro at 40 uh, but I was the best I had ever been because I had taken advantage of all the things I had learned and I had reached out to great coaches. Uh, that was when I trained with Flex Wheeler. And so I encourage everybody to get a coach and uh, just to keep learning and keep uh, you know working hard and understanding that this process takes a decade or two it's not a lot of guys now they're like oh i want to compete in a couple of shows and get my pro card within two years I mean, well, that's not gonna happen yeah it seems like
0: yeah. on that level you know you you've you sought out flex wheel to get your pro card and bodybuilding then you went to mark bell for powerlifting. so it seems like going to those resources is definitely a part of your formula yeah
1: Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, I've I've probably worked with just about every guru in the business. Uh, you know, trained with Charles Glass and uh, trained with Eddie Cohn in powerlifting and powerlifting. I worked with some really great bodybuilders over the years and, and powerlifters, and it's uh, just a who's who. Uh, every opportunity you get to, to glean information from these folks or to train with them to take you to another level, uh, you know, is is really the return on that investment is is fantastic. I think everybody should. Uh, you know, nowadays with social media, you could train out of your garage and watch. a. There is a lot more information, of course, available on the Internet than there used to be. We didn't have the Internet back when I was starting out. It was the guy behind the counter at Gold's Gym who was eating tuna fish <laughs> from a can and rice cakes was about all of the, the nutrition information you had. Uh, so it was a long, slow, you know, self-taught road of mistake after mistake after mistake. But Geez, nowadays you jump on the internet, and if you find the right people, uh, you know it's just great that you got a podcast here talking to the people who have who have done it and at a very high level. Uh, then you know it's, it's much much easier, I think, now to to succeed much sooner. But it still takes a hell of a long time
2: to build the size and, and strength necessary to compete at a top level. Yeah, knowledge wise, I think you're going to save people about 15 years. I mean, how long did it? I mean, did we go after it? In that era, without we had to learn it for ourselves, and then get mentoring from other people. I mean, Bull Stewart and Eddie Cohen are two of mine that I learned from, and I learned a lot from both of those men. A lot. Yeah, Yeah, Bull Stewart. There's a name. I
1: went up to his gym. Well, it's been ten plus years ago up in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, those are some great, some great experiences. Uh, You know, every opportunity that we had. Uh, you know, we try and go work out with someone who was in the know, who had, who had kind of lived it, because uh, we didn't. There was no other
2: resource. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was really neat because at nationals, and I think '94, I brought my workout journal with me, and Bull asked to look at it, and he started lining through things, telling me, "This is too much. This is where you need to do this." He goes, "All you need to do is put 100 pounds on your total." every single year and eventually you're going to end up beating everybody and 96 and 97 is when I won nationals and worlds. So yeah, he was right. It was
1: kind yeah, of neat. People, it's funny because when you start out, like I went and got Arnold Schwarzenegger's encyclopedia bodybuilding, like most of us did, you end up working out for <laughs> three hours a day doing 30 sets, seven days a week and uh, and <laughs> yep. trying to eat a pre-contest <laughs> diet like I mentioned, you know, tuna and rice cakes and then as yep. you get older you're like, damn, I didn't need to do all that I just needed to be a little smarter about my training and more consistent outside the gym about my recovery Right, yeah, Right. you
0: know but those times when we were truly I mean we were working way too hard and we were you know it was almost like for me I could I throw that that was like when I developed my discipline because you don't I mean you're tired you, yep. you you're overtrained, you don't know it but you force yourself to keep going and and you have to have that ability to force yourself to keep going when you don't want to that's part of the formula for sure so yeah although it was a terrible mistake there was there was a lot that was gained from the period of doing far too much.
1: <laughs> oh, greed. You know, I get a lot of guys that come to me now that are up in years that have been training for 20, 30 years, and they're not competing anymore. And they still try and do the stuff that they always did. And it's really hard to recover from. So uh, I redesign a lot of training programs like bull did for, uh, you know, for Nick has just mentioned, uh, to, to lessen fatigue, uh, and, you know, one of the things that we're learning recently with the research is that you don't have to take yourself to failure, uh, n- you know, at all or nearly <laughs> as much. Uh, and in powerlifting, and I think that, you know, this kind of uh, worked its way out through the information we got from Westside and Louis Simmons is, is you don't need to max out as often and you don't need to repeat the same kind of movement pattern, say a heavy hinged squat and a heavy hinged deadlift, which is what a deadlift is, anyhow, a hinge. Uh, if you're a low bar squatter and, and, and you're deadlifting in the same week, that's a that's the same exercise, and you're you're you know you're doing 85 plus probably 90 percent of your one rep max every single week. I was fortunate uh, to have kind of recognized that when I was training with Mark Bell. And my program at the time, I squatted once one week and deadlifted once the next week, heavy. So I was squatting twice a month, to be honest, heavy, and deadlifting twice a month, heavy, and understanding, of course, I had already reached an elite level. And so I was, you know, the, the loads were significant. This isn't a starting Massive. Step, is yeah <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, I probably wouldn't have been able to recover from anything more than that if I had tried to squat and deadlift in the same week. Uh, and so I, I redesigned programs. And, and when I work with athletes now whose focus is not powerlifting or bodybuilding, uh, you know, Lane Johnson from the Philadelphia Eagles or um uh, you know, working with John Jones now. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: those I know got a bunch of
1: questions is, about that. <laughs> but they've got a different sport to play. You know, lifting isn't their sport, and if it can't make them better, you certainly don't want it. They they have limited physical. Yeah. They, they have limited physical capital, and you can't load them with fatigue in the gym that takes away from their ability to do their sport-specific work. And so, much like the you know the the dad bods or the retired. Uh, I'll, I'll say, you know, guys are up in age, they aren't competing anymore. Uh, I design programs to have less fatigue. Uh, you can still get the hypertrophy benefit. Um, you can maintain a significant amount of strength with much less volume uh, just by changing the loading parameters, not, uh, you know, doing more concentric work, uh, you know, uh, repetitions under heavy hinged loads, you know, axial loading <coughs> uh, you can get a, an incredible benefit out of it. You know, some leg presses and hack squats, and uh, you know a lot of upper back movements and chest stuff. Doesn't you know give you a ton of fatigue, uh, and just try and let people give people a break from themselves because I tried that for many years after I stopped competing. I tried to go to the gym and keep crushing myself just as a, a matter of habit, and it uh, it didn't bode well for me. <laughs> I, have
0: that, I have that problem all the time, brother. That's a hard <laughs> habit to break, man.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: who's broken the habit?
3: My, my no. question. <laughs>
1: I haven't broke that habit
3: yet. Yeah,
1: (laughs) and and that's why I specifically mentioned people who are retired from competing because (laughs) (laughs) know that Nick's still out
2: there crushing it. He's a unique individual that way. Yeah, but uh, the thing is, is what you're talking about about the once every other week. I only pull from the floor heavy once every three weeks, right? You know, and then the next week I'll pull reps and then the next week I'll do like block pulls, you know, something that's high. I only squat heavy once every three weeks. Right. You know, and then the next week I'll squat light and do some reps. And the next week I'll do like a Hatfield squat or something else to work my full range of motion. So what you're talking about is stuff that I've been doing for years and is what's kept me in one piece till I can still do this. keeping in the
0: game baby that's right
1: (laughs) our our audience only sees our social media audience only sees the top sets and so they they don't understand the 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 infrequency or uh, again all of the uh, volume work that we do behind the scenes that allows us to recover uh, which is critical I think that Mm -hmm. when I was coming up in the 90s I used to have this philosophy don't run if you can walk, don't stand if you can sit, and don't stay awake if you can sleep. And I found that the only reason I was able to uh, really do that back then is because I was bodybuilding for, you know, four or five months to get ready for a show. And then I would, I would transition into powerlifting. And there was a carryover effect from all the bodybuilding volume that I did. In the absence of that, if you're just a strong man or a power lifter and you're lifting uh, heavy all the time and not doing a lot of recuperatory and preparatory volume uh, behind the scenes, uh, which you should, I, I think that it starts to wear on you at a much greater rate uh, than it would on, on somebody who does all of that that movement. So we do a lot of a lot of moving, and uh, you know that's kind of the foundation again of, of Louis Simmons' program. I wasn't aware of that because I never trained with Louie. Uh, until I met Mark Bell in in 2009. Uh, And then when I, the last couple of years of my powerlifting competitions, I didn't compete in bodybuilding. So I did a lot less bodybuilding volume and I was powerlifting for longer periods of time, maintaining both my heavy body weight and the heavy loading. And it weighed really heavy on me. And as I look back, as I reflect now, I can directly attribute uh, my lack of improvement. I don't think I improved those last two years. I was just kind of stagnant uh, to my decreased volume. And as you age, you need more uh, accessory volume uh, as, as uh, yes, you do. agreed. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, Hey, Stan, turn a
0: corner a little and talk to us about, uh, I know Nick already mentioned, we have been doing some really interesting stuff with uh, John Jones. He's transitioning to heavyweight. So obviously your goal is to get him big and strong, but yet, like you mentioned before, only take up a certain amount of his, I think you mentioned physical capital. I love how you described that, but ultimately you've got to have his weight training fit into his repertoire where it's helping his overall uh, performance move forward. So please talk to us about that.
1: Yeah, we implement some kind of common things that we're all aware of in the industry. I think, uh, one in particular, we split our training. So uh, we'll do an AM workout on a PM workout. We don't, we don't want to grind anybody for two hours straight. Uh, you just dig too deep a hole too hard to recover from. So we'll do two workouts today. It's the same way I trained with flex uh, when I was getting ready for uh, pro bodybuilding uh, competitions. We do an AM PM workout. It lent itself better. You know, you can train long or you can train hard, but you can't do both. And so we would get the the necessary volume, but we would split it up. So we had, you know, two meals and a nap in between training sessions. These are things I used to see even back in the early nineties, when I would drive from Oregon down to LA to Venice, just to watch guys train and, and, you know, just try and pick minds and ask questions. They all trained twice a day. They all ate six plus times a day, mainly because they, they had a high caloric demand and, uh, they needed that many meals just to be able to consume that many calories, not that six is better than four, uh, but just because the, they were eating a lot of food. They all napped every afternoon. They all slept eight plus hours a night. That was the thing that I found to be very consistent about all of them. And most of their volume was in that eight to 15 rep range. Not that that you can't get a, just an equivalent hypertrophy benefit from a heavy five rep set or even a lighter 20 rep set. But you get less fatigue in that mid-range. And since they wanted to increase their frequency and volume, uh, that, that seemed to be what people were able to do more consistently if the bulk of their volume was in that mid-range. So our first goal with John was to get, uh, put muscle on him because he had a considerable amount of time before he intended to fight. And he wanted to add uh, you know, lean muscle to his physique to go from 205 to the 265 class. And so it was mostly bodybuilding training. Uh, but in a concurrent training model, you don't want to, uh, get detrained in any of your other, uh, sports specific demands such as speed and power. Uh, so we were, you know, we were moving weights fast, but we were still getting an adequate amount of, you know, minimum effective volume and certainly within a rep or two of failure. And a lot of those reps were in again, that eight to 15 range, uh, and trained everything twice a week you know just a standard bodybuilding style program just to add muscle but we we kept touching on an occasional uh we'd get them up to a single a top single say on a um uh, you know on a box squat something that wasn't quite as fatiguing as a as burying a, a full full range squat uh or a bench press with chains or something like that so um and we were also including some speed work. And so we wouldn't compromise his speed. We brought in a, a trainer, a friend of mine out of Cincinnati, who was um, uh, a strength and conditioning coach for Pittsburgh and then for um, uh, Detroit uh, up there. And he uh, he brought in an overspeed treadmill. And some of you might've seen videos of John running on an overspeed treadmill. And yes. it's, it's yeah. fantastic for increasing speed while minimizing fatigue because if you run on a track once you reach full speed everything else is a decelerating force it's an eccentric load catching your body with your quad and we really use the sprinting uh for ankle stiffness which is important for explosive power uh we used it for posterior chain which is what uh, sprinters have a lot of uh, glutes and hamstrings uh, a lot of people tend to uh, to work the uh, uh, the brakes a lot and not the gas pedal and the hamstrings and glutes are, are really the, uh, the gas pedal for exploding for, you know, double leg takedown. People think it's quads, but it's not, it's really, it's hip extensions, how quickly you can yep. s- accelerate and get underneath somebody. So we kept a lot of that in. Um, and uh, so it's, it's a pretty diverse program and uh, you know, he's, again, we have to manage fatigue. So another component of that is stacking fatigue, on heavy MMA days, meaning uh, a live wrestling day is going to be a high fatigue day. We'll also do a high fatigue weight training workout in the morning. So we stack his fatigue on the same day. Powerlifters might do the same by squatting in the morning and deadlifting at night. And the next day just be doing, you know, some upper back lat pulldowns, et cetera, that aren't quite as fatiguing so that systemically they can recover uh, from the high fatigue day. So we coordinated with his MMA coaches to make sure that that we weren't beating him up every single day. He has a hard day and, and what we might call a uh, you know a light day, which is more bodybuilding upper body work and more skill work like jujitsu or some pads, you know, hitting mitts uh, rather than going live. So I think that's. And other than that, you know, just trying to to keep him fed. Um, you know, appropriately. So he gains mostly muscle and less fat. So, you know, my philosophy behind that is to obviously get a gram of protein per pound of body weight, and then keep the fats kind of lower around 0.3 or 0.4 grams per pound of body weight. So I can drive the carbs higher to fuel the work and utilize that to uh, become better for recovery, better for anaerobic performance. And so that's kind of our macro breakdown and what he eats you know, for those foods should be micronutrient dense. So it's a broad range of, uh, you know, protein sources. You know, I love red meat for the iron B12 and zinc. And I love whole eggs and I love yogurt uh, as great protein sources. They give a, you know, a ton of benefits. And then, uh, you know, then I'm chasing potassium, fruit, potatoes, potatoes twice as much potassium as banana. And we uh, obviously have to give him a, a reasonable amount of salt for all the sweating that he does. So I think that's the, the nuts and bolts of what we're trying to do down there.
3: Uh, question. Did you notice a significant change in terms of his performance as soon as he started adding more muscle or was it like just a uh, same thing like he was still performing at a high um, capacity while he was adding the muscle?
1: Oh, great question. We measured, we take metrics of his performance, things like a broad jump and a high jump. Uh, we want to keep speed and power when we re- increase strength. Uh, nobody wants to get an athlete stronger and get them slower at the same time. And that was the neat thing about the overspeed treadmill is it <clears allow throat> it to get metrics, to measure how fast he is. And we used the broad jump as a <clears throat> measurement of how much explosive, uh, you know, how explosive he was. And we, you know, we just told John, we don't know how heavy you can get. You've never tried this before. He's always been a wrestler cutting weight. But we know his older brother is a 300-pound defensive lineman who was a, <laughs> you know, a football champion. And we know his younger brother is a 270-pound uh, uh, NFL football champion that just set the all-time sack record for Arizona. So it's not like we were concerned that he didn't have the, uh, the genetic potential. We just, like you asked, we just – Wanted to make sure that he didn't decrease in performance that was necessary in sport-specific. So we had a few measurements, and every now and then we'll sprint him on the treadmill, make him do a broad jump, uh, and that that kind of tells us is he getting you know uh, slower, or, you know, or or can we keep going? Can we keep adding more and more muscle? And as of now, he's actually uh, excelled in performance. One of the main reasons is is because. Uh, you notice John's always been really strong on things like deadlifts. Uh, he's obviously built for it, uh, but his posterior chain wasn't trained quite as hard. You see that a lot with with wrestlers, a lot of athletes. As a matter of fact, their hamstrings and glutes don't get trained as much with resistance training. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And so we focused on that right out of the gate. And that was one of the big reasons why uh, he started seeing when he went live with other athletes that he was – he was getting in under double leg takedown so much deeper than previously against the same
2: athletes. They, they had no opportunity to sprawl and he's really, that that was something I was going to ask you is what does his training partners feel as he's rolling with them and he's sparring with them uh, as far as his, how how much deeper he can get into that. Um, I've watched other, I mean, may fighters train a lot and get a lot stronger and then all of a sudden they go to roll. And the rolling is just like that much better. Agreed. And, you know, historically, when he was really going
1: hard with his training partners, he was also dieting to get down to 205. So <laughs> now it, it's, it's like not only, it's <laughs> it's not not only fair. stronger, but he's getting bigger, uh, you know, and, and able to eat. And so <laughs> when he comes to the workouts with more energy, his, his stamina and endurance has always been extraordinary. He's the, he's the five-round guy, that's for sure. Um, he can go at the same pace for five straight rounds. Everybody that's ever fought him kind of starts dropping off in the fourth or fifth and he just doesn't slow down. It's incredible. And we wanted to maintain that endurance. Obviously the more muscle you add, the more oxygen demand and the more potential for your endurance to suffer. So, uh, but we do that with tempo runs on this overspeed treadmill again, uh, you know, decreases fatigue, but it allows you to test, you know, how many uh, sets and reps can you do at what rest period over what course of time, uh, and if we can maintain or improve that, then we know his, his, uh, his cardiovascular fitness is is also getting better.
3: I mean, you're touching on a very important point in terms of the muscle and uh, the amount of oxygen you need because one of the things that um, Wilder lost that fight to uh, Tyson Fury was because, you know, he added a lot of weight and he didn't work on his endurance to say that he couldn't last the rounds. And you saw it in the fight, you know, after a few good rounds, he was dead you know, you couldn't keep up.
1: Yeah, that's true. And I think that sometimes people train the wrong kind of endurance. Um, not all camps have uh, professional coaches that are aware that, uh, you know, what zone you're training in can have a big impact on whether or not you're improving your cardiovascular fitness without compromising uh, your strength. Your speed and, and power. Your speed and power. Yeah. And that often happens. You have to be kind of careful about uh, you know, again, you've, you've got a lot of different demands and you want to optimize all of them. And if, if one is causing another one to decrease, uh, then you got to be careful about that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Your- and then obviously fueling workouts like this with this type of uh, an athlete. One of the things that I heard you talk about, which was really interesting, was your time with Flex Wheeler, how he was basically kind of training your metabolism. Um, you know he got you kind of set up with your with your meal plan and said, "Okay, call me when you're hungry and he was basically kind of ramping up uh, you know talk to us about that that's a really interesting you know a lot of people just don't understand how the digestive tract will adapt if you narrow down those foods and let it become very efficient at digesting a few things so I'd love to hear you speak on that
1: yeah, it's not a scientific term per se it was just a you know a video that I did and um we call it metabolic adaptation uh, in in uh in the science in in the study of nutrition the study of metabolism uh when you eat fewer calories particularly when you lose weight your um, your metabolic rate will slow down you'll burn fewer calories uh when you eat more calories uh your metabolic rate will speed up you might burn a few more calories uh and that's not a you know that's not an endless scenario uh, and some people's metabolic rate will slow more than others, and some people's will speed up more than others on either end of that spectrum. Whether you're dieting or trying to gain weight, uh, and over time, and, and if you try and eat too much, if you, you know, wake up one morning and decide you're going to eat Ronnie Coleman's diet, uh, you're in big <laughs> trouble. You know? If you're eating, that
2: is not going to work.
1: No, <laughs> twenty five hundred, maybe three thousand calories a day, and you find out Ronnie ate six, and so the next day you wake up and you start trying to eat six, you know, or you watch a, a <laughs> Hofthor Thor Bjornsson or a, a, a Brian, oh, you know, uh, yeah. it's just there's no way. It's like you know, you if you bench three hundred pounds, you can't go in the gym tomorrow and put 400 in the bar and ask for lift off it,
2: the body it's just not going to go your
0: way
1: and again it goes, it goes back to people get to be impatient they think they're going to put on this massive amount of muscle in a short period of time just because they've put so many calories in their body and they're lifting weights adding muscle yep. takes a long time it's a slow process i don't care you know, how much you throw at it, uh, it takes it takes an extraordinary amount of time, you know, months and years to start to slowly build muscle tissue. And you have to be really consistent with that calorie surplus. Uh, and so what you find is, is that it's probably better off just to eat a 500 calorie surplus. Uh, initially, you'll be full, uh, which was the, was the case with me. And within 10 days or two weeks, it'll become a little easier. And then you can add a couple hundred more calories. You know, Flex would just add one ounce of meat add another half a cup of rice, add one more meal. This was a progression over the course of many weeks. Uh, And this was before I actually went down and started training with him uh, pre-contest for the show, the three months out. This was six or seven months out. He goes, I need you to get up to 5,000 calories before you come see me. Because if we aren't there and then we start to diet you, I don't, there's, there's. where else do we go? Now now you're seeing yourself. I can't fuel the workouts with 2,700 calories a day. It's not going to happen. And I need you to train two times a day to be able to utilize, uh, you know, that much food and digest it. And that, it takes a little adaptation time. It takes, it's a, it's a long process. So he kind of set me up for that ahead of time. And the digestion, that
0: seems to be such a big part of it. Because obviously if you're not digesting the food you're eating, you're never going to be able to ramp this up in the way that you did. You know, I think one of the one of the big things that people miss is they're they're just looking at the numbers of what they're eating. They're not looking at how it actually their body processes it. You know, talk to us a little
1: bit about that. Well, this is something that that I learned a long time ago because I had a lot of digestive problems and certain foods that I would eat would give me a lot of gas and bloating, and I just wouldn't be able to eat enough food to maintain my weight. I was a hard gainer, Uh, and then of course, as I started working with With strong men and large professional athletes, uh, I would use some of the same tips and tricks that I was able to, uh, allowed me to eat more calories for them. And and really, the bottom line of that is, is that you need to eat, because we have to eat so many calories, we have to be cautious about the foods that we eat, uh, being taking longer or harder to digest, uh, or causing You know, significant amount of gas and bloating, or just giving us a satiety signal for too long, so we can't eat the next meal soon enough. Uh, Because you, you know, in order to consume ten thousand calories, you got to break that. You can't just eat three thousand in one meal, Uh, and you could, but you're you're going to have a lot of problems
2: digesting. I don't know. I I, I've seen like three other guys (laughs) that I spent a lot of months with do that, and still just. Bewildered on how they could manage to eat, get that many calories in all yeah. of the time. Well, but I ask the question. I just don't digest as fast as they do. <laughs> no, no, uh, and
1: you know, to be honest, and, and I've worked with a lot of those guys, and as you know. know, and they, uh, what they don't tell you, or what they they do tell me as their coach, is that they have a lot of problems. It, it's 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 a very difficult task to eat that many calories, and they have a lot of digestive issues. They get a diarrhea a lot. They're on the toilet all the time. Uh, it's, it's a painful existence. <laughs> yep. And so I use, uh, foods that are easier to digest. Uh, I, I kind of select those now from, uh, the low FODMAP menu because it, uh, uh, Monash University of Australia has put together a list of foods that are more or less likely to cause you gas and bloating. Uh, and they tend to be a little lower fiber. They tend to be, uh, less, uh, filling foods. Uh, and so I, you know, I pick those foods and even little tricks like eating steak. Uh, it, it's easier to eat ground beef than steak. And that's why I would have athletes grind, grind their steak into ground beef. It has more surface area. It's easier. to. It's just mechanically speaking, you can consume more of it faster and it digests a little quicker. So you'd be hungry again sooner. Uh, same thing about, you know, I blended up that monster mash where I mixed the ground beef with a couple of scrambled eggs, with some white rice, with some bone broth. And it was really just to facilitate the, uh, make it easier for the athlete to eat more calories in one sitting for it to digest faster and to be hungry again sooner. Uh, because if you eat all of those things separately and they're a little drier, uh, it might just, just as a matter of, uh, you know, just, just the mouth being able to chew and not having enough saliva or to uh, swallow. Yeah, to it swallow be it's one step away from drinking some of your meals, and we know some great athletes who have done that. Derek Poundstone, mm. uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the you know. chicken shake, the chicken, chicken shake, yeah. baby. Yeah. <laughs> Just not going to that one. I like Whole Foods. Uh, you know, I prefer uh, obviously. Uh, you know, the foods that are really micronutrient dense, beef and eggs and yogurt in particular. Um, and then I do got to try and get a potassium foundation. I'll, I'll use orange juice instead of oranges because oranges have a high satiety, whereas orange juice don't. Uh, I'll use, put sprinkle a sprinkle little dextrose on the rice uh, because it, it's, it stimulates amylase uh, in, in both the mouth and in the pancreas. So you can, uh, more of that starch can be digested. Uh, it's just easier to consume uh, everybody knows sushi rice. It's sugar rice. You can eat a ton of it and you're hungry an hour yeah. later. <laughs> yeah. So you use some of those same tricks. And that was kind of the big thing that Hawthorne and Shaw, you know, initially when they were working with me said is, uh, you know, they were hungry uh, and they hadn't been hungry in years. They were able to eat more food more often and have less gas and bloating and have a better quality stool uh, because in order to eat massive amounts of calories for a lot of these guys, they had to consume more fats and fats can be really hard to break down. The, the gallbladder after a while just uh, isn't able to, uh, you know, pump out enough to break down the fats, enough bile. And then you end up with a lot of those fats getting into the, the large intestine and, and it's just, you kind of start leaking, <laughs> if, if there's no better word. Uh, well, so-
0: you know, on that level, brother, I'll tell you, when, <clears throat> when I have, a, you know, when I cycle my fats up a little higher, Obviously, and especially if I'm not digesting well, if I cycle up a little too quickly put some strain, I can tell very, very quickly because when I'm get when I'm done with the bathroom, the, the toilet needs a scrub brush.
3: There's, yes, a, big difference.
0: <laughs> there's, a, there's a big difference between yeah. digesting well and you know even if I'm digesting well and I make too big of a change in, in my fat cycle protocol, next thing you know, you know, it, it's it's a it's a, a couple of minutes with a scrub brush. And the cleaning lady, you know, chews that, you know, gets all pissed off at me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I did a video talking about that with sugar alcohols and sharting your pants was my video. <laughs> I talked about it's, it's, it's the kind of passage that needs a shower afterwards. There's no way you're going to handle that with toilet paper. But, yeah, uh, you know, Mark Bell has always said, may your tits always be tapered. And that's <laughs> That's a measure for me. Uh, of course, if you make any extreme adjustments in, say, your macro percentages of fats in particular, uh, or even fiber in one direction or the other, initially, you're going to have a, a phase where you're going to have some adjustment because the, uh, of the, the water balance and the bulk balance in the, in the large intestine. The thing I like about a lot of these animal foods we call low residue foods that are on the FODMAP menu is they're almost entirely digested and absorbed in the small intestine. Uh, a lot of the foods that get to the large intestine, which you do need some for your, you know, microbiota that, that need, you know, prebiotics, et cetera, to, uh, to, to keep a, a healthy colon. Uh, but a lot of those are indigestible and, and they get broken down, uh, you know, by bacteria and create a lot of methane. And then you're just walking around gas all the time and uh, you, you might have a, a poor stool quality and it's just uncomfortable it's uh, nobody wants to get under a big squat and get to the bottom of the squat and, <laughs> you know, and leak. Well, well, you, know,
0: well, you know, on that
1: level, on, on that level, all of us have
0: been squatting and deadlifting, and we got some, we got some rather deep cheeks, as I call it. So when you do have a little leakage or, or a shart, you, yeah. you you get to you save your underwear, which is always very important because there's nothing worse than after a workout. You know, changing your you have clothes. And have, your wife, have your wife look at your 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 underpants and go, What the fuck have you been doing? Jesus yeah. Christ. If,
1: you know, <laughs> if, if our wives got together, that would be the first story they would tell. I can remember I can remember mine with a broom handle and way out on the end of the broom handle. <laughs> was the underwear I had just squatted in and she's carrying it to the laundry room and won't get within a broom handle's distance of it. <laughs> that's like the...
0: That's like my wife the makes me carry my they, own. <laughs> they took the old, remember they took the baby's diaper and, and dipped it in and out of a, a toilet being flushed to get all the chunks out before they washed it, you know?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know... All these experiences over the years that we've that we've had, uh, you know, both, you know, from our uh, our education and our comp- our competing and our coaching and our collaborations with other great coaches and athletes, uh, kind of led me to start just writing all this stuff down, all the lessons that we learned and the things that we're discussing, and uh, and so I started creating this document that I, I made, which everybody's familiar with now, the Vertical Diet, uh, the ebook that I. And really what it, what it allowed me to do is just put it all together. And then when an athlete comes to me, I just send them this doc, this document, which I made into an ebook now that I've been uh, promoting for years. Which you uh, sent
2: to me. Thank you.
1: Yeah. And it, it made it a big difference definitely. in my life. It, it, every question that I've had, every experience that I've had in which I've had to, uh, you know, try and answer or resolve for myself and, and I covered sleep and, of course, you know, the diet and, and digestion and IBS and things like acid reflux and uh, blood testing and hormones and blood pressure and blood sugar, uh, obviously cardio and lifting, but also recovery from that and injury rehab and, uh, you know, compliance with all of this, of course. And uh, I just put it all together so that I wasn't answering the same questions over and over again and and, and published it. And that people always ask me, you know, what did you do for these great athletes? And I tell 99% of them, I send, I send them that same document. I mean, it's all in there. Feel free to ask me questions, um, but I'll be repeating myself uh, because I've, I've spent years compiling this, and then I would start attaching links to videos and articles and peer-reviewed research to any of the suggestions that I made. So for those people who wanted to take a deeper dive or just have the confidence that it was, uh, you know, largely uh, successful, of course there's always outliers, but I tried to find the things that worked for most people. And that's, uh, you know, it's kind of been a big, a big goal of mine now as I've aged is that a lot of the stuff in that book lends itself well to I hate to use the word longevity, but I think as competitors, we know, uh, I did a video. Uh, uh, what was the name of that video? Uh, if you want to be healthy, don't compete. And, I, and <laughs> it wasn't just about powerlifters and bodybuilders. It, 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 it relates to, I was talking about 14-year-old gymnasts in the, in the Olympics getting surgeries for torn tendons and uh, you know rotator cuffs and Achilles tendons and stuff. I've talked about 10-year-old badminton players in in China blowing out their lateral collateral ligaments. Anything you do at a competitive level that's repetitive, um, you you know, the fitness level required to accomplish that. I I said in the, the video, there's a difference between health and fitness. Fitness being the ability to perform a particular duty or task. The fitness level required to compete in the world's strongest man is not healthy by no sense of the imagination or bodybuilding or powerlifting or football or gymnastics or any, any other sport uh, you know, especially the high impact sports soccer has a much high injury, higher injury rate than weightlifting uh, by far by tenfold uh, as would football and any other impact sport. So, um, you know, I will say
2: that I will say this with your diet and that stuff, it makes it a whole lot healthier. I'm going to tell you that right now. It was kind I of my, my blood tests.
1: I said part of my job or part of what I had to learn throughout my career to be able to compete into my 40s and, and look at, at, at Nick in his 50s now, still crushing it, um, I had to mitigate damage. It's not like you can avoid it because if you don't take yourself, you know, somewhere, uh, you know, near that area, that zone, you're, I've always said that show me someone who's never been injured. I'll show you someone who's never won anything. And, and that's <laughs> You yeah. Know? Yeah. there's a whole that's lot of guys true. out there talking about their knee health that, that squat pounds. It's like <laughs> you know. But uh, that's so
0: true, brother. Oh my god. <laughs> so
1: that's I said a, a lot simple
0: of, statement, but so correct. <laughs>
1: agreed. So a lot of what I do when I, I, I get in touch with a big athlete, I think Nick and I first started talking about uh, you know this kind of thing with respect to injuries and inflammation and hips and knees and stuff, some 10, 10 plus years ago, a lot of the stuff I do is is really to try and mitigate damage, to allow them to continue to compete at a high level, uh, but pay attention to things, you know, like joint health, like physical health, uh, heart health. um, And that's why, you know, we talk about the blood tests and the like, and, um, and, you, you know, I hate to work our way into this, you know, tragic recent, uh, death, uh, of Sean Roden and other great athletes, John Meadows recently, and Andy Hammond, you know, people we all know and love, uh, and have have associated with over the years. Um, but there's a lot of people out there that that aren't well-known who have suffered from, I, I think kind of pushing themselves too hard and not, uh, kind of taking care of their health. And that's, you know, I, I, I can't say, and I, I did a video where I talked about, you know, get a blood test, that that a lot of this is preventable. It really is. And, and we put ourselves in a very compromised position uh, and we do it intentionally so to reach, you know, the competitive level that we want, but that doesn't mean that, that we can't do it uh, and, and minimize and, and reduce our risk and mitigate some of the, the damage. And one of the biggest things that I've been screaming about for over five six years now, I've been getting blood tests. I've had over 200 blood tests. I've had over 100 in the last 10 years. I've been getting them very regularly, almost on a monthly basis throughout my career so I could see what was, what was going on and make adjustments accordingly. Uh, I just recently, uh, I don't know if you step on anybody's toes, but I just recently uh, came across a group called MerrickHealth.com. And their blood tests, you can do them online. They're like half the price of what I've been paying. And uh, they- they'll That's do a-, a great
0: resource, brother. That's a great resource. People need yeah. that resource. Please share yeah. that.
1: You can go to StanEffording.com and scroll down to blood tests. And I don't make any money on this. Uh, and scroll down to blood tests and it'll give you a link and it'll show you the blood tests that I typically buy, but it's a really comprehensive test. Um, but I just went on there this morning and I typed this up. It's it's merrickhealth.com. And if anybody wants to DM me, I will send them a copy of this. I kept it in my notepad and I'll just copy and paste it to their DM and send it to them. But I get a blood test from the, I've been paying way over twice this. And this is kind of the stuff I like to see of my athletes. This is what I had Hoffthor do, Brian Shaw do, uh, Larry Wheels do, Dan Green, you know. Uh, uh, at the highest level, even uh, John Jones did, did this and uh, Lane Johnson from the Eagles, all of my athletes send me blood tests as soon as I start working with them. Uh, and we've been able to reduce their blood pressure, uh, reverse fatty liver, um, you know, reduce their blood sugars uh, across the board. Lane Johnson of the Eagles was weighing 312 and was having a hell of a time maintaining his weight. And he was eating, he had a registered dietitian, and this is not a, an indictment on a registered dietitian. <laughs> but the co-author of my book is an, is is an RDN PhD who was head of the dietetic department at UNLV, Dr. Damon McKeown. Uh, but oftentimes when, you know, these folks, they read all this stuff in a book and they understand it very well, but in application for a 300 plus pound athlete, they've never done it. And when you prescribe somebody chicken breast and quinoa, who needs to consume six plus thousand calories a day, you're not doing them any any service. It's impossible. Uh, They won't be able to maintain their weight. So anyhow, we took Lane from 312 pounds to 333 pounds. And his blood pressure went from uh, systolic in the 150s down to 123 at, at gaining 20 pounds. Because we paid attention to all these other factors, the major one being and and, and the reason I'm focusing on blood pressure, because there's there's two primary reasons uh, that are two big killers uh, is going to be blood pressure and blood thickness and kind of right behind it. What causes most of it is insulin resistance, you know, uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and metabolic syndrome, Uh, but blood pressure and thick blood are two major contributors that are manageable. And this test here, for instance, I'm just gonna read these off real quick just because some people will be familiar with this, but if you're not, I don't want to distract you, but this test costs a hundred dollars. That is it, a hundred dollars. And they measure your inflammation marker with C-reactive protein, your metabolic panel, free and total testosterone, your PSA for your prostate specific antigen, a urinalysis, a CBC with differential, your A1C with sugars, your iron, your lipid panel for your, you know, triglycerides and LDL and HDL, your thyroid function, your your insulin, which is a leading indicator of, of, uh, of uh, insulin resistance. That I like to use your ferritin, which is a you know an inflammation marker, but also an iron storage marker. Uh, your estrogen, all of that for hundred dollars It's ridiculous. Yeah, that, that
0: that that's that's so that's so cheap. Oh my God, that's
1: unbelievable. Yeah. I was paying 250 for this same test just because I had already skinny down. My normal test is around 400 bucks because it's really comprehensive, but a lot of stuff's in there is pretty unnecessary. It's just stuff I like to see. Um, You know, I might do it with athletes, but if I call this the budget blood work panel now, I just looked this up today and I compared (laughs) everything on my blood test to what these guys' prices are. And these are everyday prices. This isn't some discount. And so I, I reached out to these guys, uh, just within the last couple of weeks there because uh, Mark Bell knows these folks. And uh, I asked him if I could get a discount for my clients. they said, they'll give me 10% off if I recommend this. So I'm recommending it. It's on my website. I don't make any money. You get a 10% discount, but DM me and I will send you this, this link and this list. You can go make your own blood test. And for a hundred bucks, you don't have to have a doctor. You just go down to a, a lab corp near you. There's, one within a mile of damn near everybody in the country.
2: Yeah, that was and, what I was about to ask you. <laughs> where do you get yeah. that?
1: They email yeah. you a form that you print out and take to the lab. They draw your blood test. It's already paid for. These guys, they take your hundred dollars. You know, ooh, and then in like three to five days, they they email you the results. And the results say very specifically what the ranges are. Some of them even have explanations as to you know what the indicators are. It's pretty easy. You're looking for, you know, a couple of big things. Obviously, you want to get your blood pressure te- checked and your blood uh, and your blood thickness. I did a whole video on when to donate blood, talking about the difference between thick blood, polycythemia vera, and just high red blood cells, which is erythrocytosis, which is quite common even in elevation or uh, people using uh, performance enhancing drugs. It doesn't necessarily mean thick blood. I'm cautious over donating. And again, there's a whole YouTube video I did on this. Because then your, your platelets and your ferritin, and your iron starts to, to tank. And now you're, you know, you're gassing out. Your heart rate's elevated 15 beats a minute. And uh, you're actually your performance will suffer if you over donate. And it may be unnecessary. But uh, between thick blood and blood pressure and then blood sugars, those are the three biggies. We could save a lot of lives. Uh, one of the biggest things I did initially with all these big athletes was check and see if they wore a CPAP. I did not, I won't say the <laughs> name, but I mentioned some of the guys who have recently passed away, uh, who I know personally, all of them. And one of their close friends told me that he would never wear a CPAP. And I was shocked. Hoff did not wear a CPAP when I met him. I went up and stayed at his place. He snores like a freight train. I'm like, you got to get a CPAP. <laughs> Brian wasn't wearing his. Dan Green wasn't wearing his. Lane Johnson wasn't wearing hands. They, they, don't, they don't like them. I don't, they don't appreciate that when you hold your breath, when you snore and wake up tired, you're holding your breath, your blood thickens, your blood pressure dramatically increases overnight, and you have a significantly higher uh, risk of cardiovascular disease as a result. And so I know oftentimes doctors will tell you that uh, blood pressure is what they call idiopathic, meaning... There's no cause, no known cause. But that's bullshit. We know what the cause is, it's but it's multifactorial. It's not one thing that can be fixed with one prescription. It's multifactorial. And I have a high blood pressure quick fix kit in my ebook. Uh, I have a hundred percent success rate, as should anyone who, who applies these really simple and well-known uh, methods getting, reducing blood pressure with my clients, those people who work with me. Uh, I'll just give you a quick list, it's in my ebook. I even got a video, High Blood Pressure Quick Fix Kit. You can go watch it for free, buy my book. Um, Losing weight obviously is a huge one. Taking a 10 minute walk after meals uh, is is more effective than uh, metformin for reversing or preventing type two diabetes. Metformin is the number one prescribed drug in the world for for type two diabetes. It's twice as effective just taking a 10 minute walk after meals because it reduces what they call postprandial glycemia, glycemia, the the elevation of blood sugars and the duration of elevation after eating a meal uh, by up to 30%. That's significant. And that'll help obviously keep insulin down. And those are the the drivers of most of these metabolic diseases, such as fatty liver and and blood pressure, et cetera. And the high blood pressure, just as a comment, uh, as an aside... Is also the leading cause of kidney damage, which should be of huge concern. We all have friends that are on dialysis; we know them uh, who have suffered in this industry in particular uh, from high blood pressure. It's I, I liken it to running a pressure washer through a coffee filter. That's what you
0: <laughs> uh, that makes a lot of sense. TV. That makes a lot of sense when you break yeah. it down like that. You know, Stan. That's the way that you kind of present things is really helpful for people to get a a perspective that will make them pay attention to this stuff. You know, and one of the things I love that you said a minute ago, you know, solving these problems is never one thing. It's a series of things that go into the solution.
1: A hundred percent. And, and none of my athletes have declined in performance, but they've improved in their health markers. So I'm, I'm not telling people to quit lifting or to quit pursuing their goals Quite the contrary. I, I'm just the opposite. I, you know, and I was willing to sacrifice anything uh, to get to my goals. But I found that I actually performed better when I paid attention to these markers because I was testing them frequently. But uh, I'll just keep going. The 10-minute walk. Um uh, obviously resistance training is huge. The muscle's a sink for glucose. Uh, you know, sugars will uh, uh <clears throat> sugars will be absorbed from the bloodstream into the muscles without the need of insulin so which is a huge uh, impact on blood pressure uh cpap it's a monster if you snore and wake up tired it's not just a problem for your wife it's a problem for your health and i've even gone so far <laughs> i've even gone so far as to tell people to go on craigslist and buy a used cpap uh I, I have instructions in my in my ebook on how to how to just go to a local you can get them for a few hundred dollars and this problem could be solved tomorrow. It's like a 99% cure uh, to get a CPAP. And I even make a recommendation as to the type, any auto app. It's a couple of companies. They, they automatically adjust yep. to give you the pressure you need. They read what your breathing is like. And they also, uh, unlike the ones I wore back in the early 90s, I've been using a CPAP for 30 years. Ever since I got north of 240 pounds, it became more and more necessary to use a CPAP. Anybody with a, a thick neck, it's a, a crowded airway. It's, uh, uh, even Jordan Fagenbaum from Barbell Medicine weighs 198 pounds. He wears a CPAP. He's got a thick neck. He's a squatter. And so it's not always about being obese or overweight. It's it, it just any of us with the necks that we have, uh, we're going to crowd it. Uh, so get a CPAP, it's, it's an immediate fix. Um, three things that, that can almost change your blood pressure overnight is dramatically increasing your potassium intake from food in particular. And I have a list, uh, even on my high blood pressure thing, I list the, the foods. A potato, why I always have potatoes in my diet, is twice as much potassium as a banana. Uh, and then fruit, yogurt, and even meat has 100 milligrams of potassium for every ounce. And so you could easily get you know, 45, 4,700 milligrams of potassium a day. Uh, calcium is another one, which is why I love yogurt. It has a, a, a great effect on reducing blood pressure and magnesium, which typically you got to supplement magnesium because it's hard to get from food. Uh, thyroid function has a big effect on it. It could be very dramatic. Uh, and so getting adequate iodine in your diet and not over-training and under sleeping, which is going to happen with the CPAP. Um, those are the big so, ones.
2: so basically organic cranberry juice. Yes, that's <laughs> the one I love.
3: Those are the big ones.
1: Uh, you know, we uh, I think, and then the the high blood sugar quick fix kit is also in my ebook, which uh, that's huge. Your insulin levels, obviously, but uh, some of the things we do there is just uh, eating protein first has a, a pretty significant effect on regulating uh, your insulin. Uh, your blood sugars and it, it, not only in that meal, but in subsequent meals um, is a big one for, uh, for blood sugars. Um, the 10 minute walks, of course, are huge. Working out's huge. Losing weight's huge. Uh, sleeping is huge. Your your blood sugars go up after even one short night of sleep. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, fantastic information. I think that people I don't want to overcomplicate it. I just want you to go to go to my website or DM me and get a blood test. It's a hundred bucks for Christ's sake. And if you see and get your blood pressure tested, you could do that at Walgreens or CVS. They've got clinics at most of those places. that will do it for, I um, mean, I think free. And if you see those problems, man, reach out to me. I, you, you know, I, I have, I've answered over a hundred thousand DMs in the last three or four years. Uh, you know, comments, questions, <clears throat> and I usually copy and paste answers. Um, but it, it's so important, I think, that, that people understand this could be a, a wonderful pursuit, the, the sports that we're competing in. Uh, and, and, I, and I don't think that people should be afraid to uh, to train, to add muscle, to get big, to compete, uh, so long as they do it in a healthy manner and don't uh, uh, get too overweight or too high blood pressure or too thick of blood. I think that this is fixable. So. Sorry to blather on, but it's just so tragic and so recent <clears throat> that I think it needs to be said. Well, brother, oh, to your
0: credit, uh, to your credit, uh, you make the stuff that seems pretty, the stuff that really is complicated, you, you make it pretty easy for the layman to understand. And I include myself in that, so I'm not talking smack about anybody. Sometimes hearing somebody get really in-depth on talking about things like you're talking about with blood, blood tests and things like this, could be a little overwhelming. So the yeah. fact that you break, it, you break it down and make it simple for people to understand is, is a huge, huge help for people to kind of not veer away from something. A lot of times people get a little, you know, they'll veer away from something because it seems too complex. So I think you're doing a phenomenal job breaking it down for people to see a little more clearly
1: or somebody tells them that they have to lose weight, or even that they have to stop eating uh, meat and eggs, which is bullshit. Here's a, here's a, <laughs> a, a meta now. <laughs> Dude,
0: I'm telling you, meat and eggs is something, I've eat. That sh- I've eaten that shit for 20 fucking years. Helps with
1: performance, 100% helps with performance. We see study after study now, where even when they compare equivalent amounts of protein intake uh, and equated for calories between people who eat whole eggs and people who eat just egg whites on groups of people who train, both for strength and hypertrophy, the whole egg eating group outperformed uh, the egg white group. The, the diversity of those micronutrients is important. Cholesterol is actually important, and I know that people like to squawk about that, but uh, there's, there's brain no function point. too. <laughs> yeah, and, and brain function, hundred percent. Yeah, the creatine and everything in the meat. Uh, but here's a recent study. This is Examine.com. Anybody, all of our viewers out there should be familiar with. And if not, you should definitely go on to Examine. Com. They're one of the, the, the foremost researchers in the industry on supplements to begin with. Uh, and it's a group of about 30 researchers run by, I think, Kamal Patel and a bunch of PhD researchers. These guys are brilliant. They don't take any outside funding. They just did a, a recent a meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials. This, is on, uh, this, isn't, uh, um, this isn't epidemiology. These are randomized controlled trials. Uh, of red meat consumption. And this was looking at at, uh, dozens of different studies. And the conclusion of this, I'll just run right to the conclusion. Total red meat consumption does not affect changes in biomarkers of glycemic control or inflammation. And a second study, this one also a meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials they tested cardiovascular disease risk factors for uh, people consuming red meat. They looked at total cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, HDL, triglycerides, systolic and diastolic blood pressure. And their conclusion right here, study. The results from this systematic searched meta-analysis of RCT supports the idea that consumption of... Uh, <clears throat> Red meat does not influence blood lipids and lipoproteins or blood pressure. So you always go to doctors that will tell you, you got to stop eating red meat if you've got high LDLs. You may have to reduce your saturated fat, bacon, butter, maybe whole cheese. Uh, But red meat, like a top sirloin, is about 9% saturated fat. As, a, as measured by total calories, which is below the American Heart Association's recommendation for saturated fats, so I don't take it out. I don't recommend people taking it out. If you have thick blood, uh, or if you have high hemoglobin, hematocrit, and RBCs, you want to look at ferritin, which is your iron, and you want uh, and get an iron panel, and you want to look at your platelets to make sure that your blood isn't too thick. Uh, but even uh, like Chris Master, John PhD, who has uh, a nutritionist who has hemochromatosis, which is a genetic predisposition for, uh, for high iron, he still eats red meat. He just donates because he thinks that excluding red meat would exclude so many valuable micronutrients that, that are important for his health, that it would be preferable to donate periodically when it was justifiable. I'm concerned about people uh, over restriction. I, I talk about this a lot with female dieters, people are eating egg whites and tilapia and broccoli. And they end up with metabolic or um, they end up with uh, uh, kind of a, a triad. They end up with uh, uh, cessation of the menstrual period, which is amenorrhea. They end up with uh, low iron. They end up with um, low calcium, uh, low thyroid. Hey, Stan, just to clarify
0: for everybody, you say red meat. You're not talking just about beef. You're talking about lamb. You're talking about any Buffalo. any. Yeah, it's not just, we're not just talking about beef. We're talking bison. We're talking, what, lamb. Yeah. We're talking all sorts of, it's not just beef that we're talking about. Yeah,
1: it's what we call uh, ruminant animals, animals with a four-chambered stomach that converts cellulose, which is the the grass that they eat, into, uh, you know, very nutritious, like I mentioned, three times higher in iron, six times higher in zinc, nine times higher in B vitamins than say chicken or turkey and also a a better omega-6 to omega-3 ratio, which we don't know how important that is necessarily, but uh, uh, they're just more efficient at digesting that food, which makes it easy, which gives you more micronutrients, but also makes it easier for you to digest. Uh, And so, and I'm not saying that exclusively red meat, I'm just saying there's absolutely no reason to eliminate it from the diet. And for, for women who are dieting, it can come at a cost. Same with whole eggs. Uh, the idea that you would take an egg yolk out and throw peanut butter in, uh, it's just idiotic. The the micronutrients in an egg yolk, the biotin for skin, <laughs> nails, the, the choline which is for, for liver health, uh, all the things. An egg, an egg yolk is like nature's multivitamin. There's just no reason to take it out. If you want to control your fats, use a half whole eggs and half egg whites. You know, I worked with Nadia Wyatt who took third place Uh, in the Miss Olympia and second in the Arnold classic. And she's 123 pounds on stage. Uh, She ate red meat, whole eggs, yogurts, oranges, potatoes, all the way up to the day of the show. I have a picture of every meal she ate for three months straight. And she felt amazing. She looked amazing. She stayed strong. Her training was awesome. Uh, Her energy levels were great. She didn't have any of the the dry skin or the hypothyroid problems or, you know, any of those issues uh, because she kept in the micronutrients that are necessary. So and red meat can be just as lean as chicken. You can go down to a grass fed uh, sirloin tip or top round. And, you know, I like to lower fats as I diet athletes down. Uh, and I'll do that by just using leaner meats and without having to sacrifice the, the micronutrient benefits of, of red meat. So uh, it's, a, it's a, a broad menu. And I try and keep in, since you're already dieting, I try and keep in the foods that, uh, that are least uh, restrictive in micronutrients.
0: Yeah, it seems like the industry kind of just is, you know, so much information is just kind of fed down the line with, you know, chicken and egg whites and all of these foods that are really kind of bland with the micronutrient values. And, and there's nothing there for the body to hold
1: on to. And know? look, <clears throat> I have found studies and there are studies. I'm, I just mentioned that show both an increase in saturated fats uh, uh, or a, a, a reasonable amount. You don't want to go under 25% fats. So they start affecting your hormones, et cetera. And I just mentioned about the whole eggs. But Nick and I know simply from experience, I love these people who read books all their lives, but never actually went out. And, and <laughs> <Yeah. eating them. laughs>
3: Nick yeah. and I both
1: know, you know, all of us know when you pull red meat and whole eggs and, and dairy out of your diet, you get weaker period. Yeah. And yeah. people say, well, you're not equating for calories. No, uh, it, it's not a calorie yeah. thing. You might be, yeah. able to, you know, you might be able to uh, have fewer losses if you're not the deficit sure but it has an immediate impact on my strength and and i, I see it all the time when people make those changes in, the, in their diet you Absolutely, know I, tr- I
0: like to try i try to explain to people you know your your protein source okay it's a protein but you know that compared to a car the micronutrient value is going to explain how powerful the motor of that car is not all proteins are created the same you know I agree and and people just don't see that and they just see a gram of protein as a gram of protein when that's like saying you that's like putting a volkswagen bug next to a goddamn Bugatti, and they oh yeah they're both sports cars yeah <laughs> you know
1: <laughs> and i don't want to be and again i've tried very hard not to bro science my way through these these uh you know this this stage of my life where i'm uh, trying to provide education to those people who want to reach and achieve the kinds of things that I was able to, to do in, in my life. And so I did recruit the hell. I, I, you know, I, I, I started attending all the seminars from all of the academics in the industry. And uh, I just got back from Miami yesterday at, at a seminar. I've been to the Barbell Medicine Seminar and uh, you know, I follow and I subscribe to some of the smartest people in the industry with the PhD in nutrition. Um, I partnered with a PhD RDN uh, and we've got over 500 references to peer-reviewed published research in our book. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I have to bridge the gap between, uh, you know, information and application and, and results matter. And, uh, you know, I don't care, you know, I like to show studies, but I don't care how many studies you show me. If somebody's not performing or improving in performance, something's got to change. And, and I, I think we've got a pretty damn good recipe uh, and no so much trial and error and education and uh, collaboration from coaches and other athletes. And a lot of times when uh, the academics, and, and there's some good ones out there that also compete, you know, the Greg Knuckles of the world, who, who was natural world record in powerlifting at one time, who's also a, got a master's degree. and uh, Lane Norton, you know, a, a natural world record powerlifter and, and bodybuilder who's got a PhD in nutrition. Uh, even the guys from Barbell Medicine who are super sharp, and they're MDs, and they've also got uh, you know, pretty damn uh, impressive lifts, over 700-pound deadlifts. Um, you know, there's a lot of, of really sharp guys out there uh, that uh, also compete uh, who, you know, who I'll listen to much more readily than I would somebody who who hasn't, uh, you know, been through it like we have and, and learned
2: uh, and put the work in. Talk I think to us that's a little bit about good learn from
3: I I think that's something
2: people can learn from in general is you have the people that are that smart, but may not have done the application. Like, for instance, an ER doctor, as opposed to a guy in a lab, you're going to listen to the one that's been helping people and actually curing people over the one that, yeah, he's read the book, but he hasn't really dealt with the people. It's the same type of thing. Absolutely. 100%.
1: I can't tell you how many times over the years I've had an athlete call me and be like, Stan, I've gotten weaker. And I could just name off like five things right off the top. Are you taking anti estrogen? Are you on metformin? You know, did you cut out red meat and whole eggs? <laughs> you know, I can, are you taking, are you taking, um, antacids, you know, for, for acid reflux? Uh, uh are you taking anti inflammatories? You know, I, I almost immediately, with those five, I probably covered 90% of of the, the problems that have come to me and they're like oh yeah I, I've been doing that. <laughs> it's like
2: yeah yeah I was doing that too. Yeah. Yeah
1: yeah <laughs> it, it's it's pretty easy. You see it enough times you're like up oh, yep yeah, this is what you gotta do.
0: <laughs> well there's no substitute for experience, brother. And how how old are you? I know you and Nick are almost the same age. How old are you now?
1: 54 both of us now aren't we? Uh, you got a year on me. Oh my goodness! Well, I just turned fifty-four two days ago or
2: so. So I'm, i well, have a young,
0: birthday, brother.
1: Thank you.
3: Yeah,
2: <laughs> mine was the third, so I turned fifty-three on the third. So,
3: yeah, yeah we well, both awesome.
2: our birthdays are real close together. Well, I think well, was I'm going to join the
0: fifty club here in about in about two months. So I'll be I'll <laughs> be in the fifty club with you guys here in January. So yeah, I'm not too far behind.
1: I like. I, I look forward to doing another episode on with you guys when we're sixty and when we're seventy. I'm just yeah. oh, <laughs> Lifting weights is the fountain of youth. We know from research that sarcopenia and muscle loss and strength loss is a, is a, one of the primary predictors. Uh, well, that and uh, VO2 max is actually one of the the primary predictors, but the VO2 max is dependent upon having adequate muscle tissue to create the demand for your lungs to provide oxygen. So it, it kind of go hand in hand, but we know that grips, that uh, grip strength can give us a good predictor of longevity, uh, you know, and trip and falls and how you recover from those things. And so, you know, I, we're all out there now saying the same thing, uh, including the academics and the medical professionals that they're prescribing weightlifting to damn near everyone who can even move. Yeah. Uh, it, it even even in preference to uh, traditional cardiovascular fitness, because weightlifting does provide a cardiovascular benefit. If you lift anything to so within a couple reps of failure, your heart rate's going to go up, and you're going to be breathing. And uh, so. that's it. Speaking
0: of which, the tw- reps are set to twenty. That's that's the that's basically hit under load right there. I hear you reference that all the time.
1: You know? Yeah, you know what I. I'm somewhat, I'm, I, I'm somewhat cautious. Uh, one of the people I follow in the industry is Dr. Peter Atia, And he's uh, he's a Stanford MD, was a Johns Hopkins, uh, wrote their surgery manual. He's a genius. He's a brilliant Mensa level guy. And he's just fun to listen to because he's in longevity now. And he used to be an ultra marathoner. And he was a, uh, he was a uh, distance swimmer. Uh, I think he even did some triathlons. Um, he came to the realization as he got into his forties that uh, from looking at the research and that even ult- even that kind of, of cardiovascular challenging like marathoners who, who compete relatively frequently uh, is not good for your health. Uh, you know, it creates in a large, thin heart wall. It actually does some damage to the endothelial lining of the blood vessels and uh you know those guys start to see calcification which you would never suspect of someone who is a uh, you know a runner but again at the extremes ultra uh marathoners with lots and lots of mileage and training at a very uh, high level and very hard so uh you know i wouldn't say that <laughs> i'm kind of getting around to the fact that that uh <clears throat> 20s are, are 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 pretty challenging i wouldn't do them all too often, because uh, you're absolutely you got to be cautious how often you do things that, that take your heart rate up that high under that much load. Whether it's you know jogging forty or fifty miles uh, or squatting fifty reps, uh, I don't think that's a, a longevity pursuit. I, I wouldn't recommend that. I, occasionally, <laughs> I, I still love to do. <laughs> that I love to do. So
2: <laughs> if yeah, I'm right like there with
0: Yeah, there's a difference between doing a set of 20 now, you know, being close to 50 or for you guys, slightly over 50 than there was when we were 25. It's a whole different feeling in there, you know? It's like (laughs) your heart is pounding and it just feels a little different.
2: (laughs) Oh, it it feels different. It's it's interesting, though, (laughs) because I'll usually do it at the end of my workout to, to finish it off and I'm done. And then no matter what time of the year it is, I'll go get in my pool to cool my core body temperature down. And I feel better way faster, Yeah, way faster instead of it taking an hour and a half to where I feel back normal, where I can think again, I'll be able to think in about 15 minutes. If I do that. I agree. You know, another thing, another article that just
1: thinking about that, your, your recovery. and, And we talk a lot about recovering from training. Uh, Kamal Patel's group examine.com just posted a bunch more research on sitting. Uh, and I've talked about this in my rant. Uh, I think uh, 10 reasons 10 minute walks will change your life is on YouTube. And we talk about the fact that moving frequently throughout the day is more effective than one bout of exercise at the end of the day. They studied office workers who would get up and take three 10 minute walks or maybe once every hour they get up for a few minutes and move around and they had a lower all-cause mortality than those people who sat around all day and then just went and did 30 minutes of cardio at the end of the day. That didn't seem to offset the length of time that they sat around. I tell my athletes when they fly the same thing. Don't sit in that seat for five straight hours. I was, do
3: I was actually going to point that out. Like usually when I'm, when I'm doing a show, you know, whether it's Olympia or Arnold, or whatever the case may be, and I'm flying to these uh, shows, I always uh, get up and move around whenever I'm flying.
1: 100%. Sit on the yep. aisle i'll set my watch and have my alarm go off every hour on the hour and i'm like i'm up i'm walking back i know when i float flew over to moscow i can't tell you how many times i walked back to the little uh uh, to the bathroom area in the back and stood there and and marched high knees and marched and i looked like (laughs) people on
0: the plane must be going what is yeah. wrong? Because everybody else is just trying to find a way to snuggle in their seat. You're up marching. This is great, man. They must yeah. have been looking at you.
1: <laughs> I have a I have a red band in my bag. And I'll take my little red band and I'll I'll stretch, I'll wrap it around my knees and I'll do little uh, good girl, bad girls in my seat. <laughs> this is beautiful. This is yeah. I mean this this is
0: this is the kind of thing that somebody gets to their destination and says, Oh, you gotta hear this. There yeah. was some guy in the airplane.
1: <laughs> little did we know. Uh, you know. With a red band. Yeah. And I, I, just, I just noticed that, that I have to move a lot. I'm like the tin man without yeah. an oil pan. If I'm sedentary, for years, <laughs> I just start to freeze up.
0: Yeah, yeah for sure. That's, that's, that's a great story, brother. I love it. I, I, there's probably people all around the world that are telling that story about you whipping out the little red band doing the good girl, bad girls in your seat. That's that's, yeah. that's great.
3: <laughs> you, can do, you can do shoulder pull aparts
1: so and you can put it behind your back and press presses, you know.
0: We're going to start a trend. Next thing you know, they're going to start banning. You know, you're going to start this whole movement. Next thing you know, they're going to make sure they're going to look for your red band. You can't bring a red band on the plane anymore because <laughs> too many people are doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh shit! At the
3: end of the day, you know. Listen, you, you you can't you with all these mandates that they have right now. You know, you got to wear a mask the whole time. You can only remove the mask when you're eating. So I, I think they would probably uh, give you permission to use the red band because there's so much. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm terrible. I fly a lot. You know, obviously I'm I'm down in Albuquerque every other week. I have a a partner in this this, uh, adventure that goes the alternate week. So one of us is with John seven days a week. Uh, so every weekend I'm on an airplane, which was typical anyhow, because when I was doing seminars, I've done over 200 seminars in 12 countries and all 50 States. I was on a plane nearly every weekend, fly out Friday, come home Sunday, uh, for the better part of, of you know, almost three years before COVID hit and then all that shut down, of course. Um, uh, but uh, I'm used to flying, but I hate those masks. So I ordered one off the internet. I forget where now because I am I ordered like a six pack of them. It's like a fishnet. You can really, you can see your nose and mouth through the mask. It's like you don't even have a mask on, but it's black. And when it's right up against your face, you can't really tell, but you can see right through it if you hold it up. And I oh I, I, I wear that on the plane because it, it doesn't impair my breathing. And so I'm, I'm a little more comfortable smart <laughs> that's
0: that's smart. very smart
1: brother very smart no, right. no. just, i was just down in miami at a seminar with a, a guy by the name of dr pat davidson phd in in uh exercise phys extraordinary guy just brilliant guy uh and then a guy that he partnered with is uh his uh jordan uh the muscle doc some of you may know him as the muscle doc he's a chiropractor Uh, These guys are are fantastic. But I flew all the way down to Steffi Cohn's gym in Miami just so I could spend the weekend with them uh, and just learning from them. It was just an educational opportunity for me. And I I laugh sometimes when people complain that my ebook is $100 on my book on my website. And and I'm like, you couldn't hire a trainer, a good trainer for one hour for $100. And I've spent tens of thousands of dollars and decades of my life putting everything I had into that fucking e-book, and <laughs> you know. But And I still, I go to these seminars, you know, and I, I you know, that seminar was a grand. It cost me a thousand bucks. Plus I had to fly to Miami to stay in a hotel. And, you know, just so I could learn some more stuff to, to be able to uh, then bring that back to my clients or, you know, my audience. And, uh, but the point of the story was this, um, and I, I mentioned this before. One of the biggest things that I try and do about my compliance, this is both for dieters and for athletes, is meal prep. And I think people know that the Vertical Diet has a meal prep company. And I've been distributing meals nationwide for a few years now, where I make low FODMAP meals with bone broth and you know bison monster mash and a whole host of other menu items. Uh, and they're delicious. I I don't even make my own food anymore. The meal prep company sends them, and I have to buy them too. I only get you know a discount. Uh, so, uh, but I took a rolling Coleman cooler. Matter of fact, it's sitting right here next to me. It's an igloo <laughs> and, uh, I'll pack, uh, like I knew I had to fly out Friday and I wasn't home until Monday night. So that's four days and I need five meals a day. So I had to take 20 meals with me. And fortunately, because, you know, I order meal prep, I just pulled 20 meals out of the freezer and I popped them into this rolling igloo cooler And I threw, uh, you know, my CPAP and some clothes and shoes on top of that. And I closed the cooler and and put a a tie down on it, a little ratchet tie down. And I checked it onto the plane. And then I always stay at a, like an extended stay, Uh, you know, that has a microwave and a fridge and a little, little mini kitchenette thing. Mm -hmm. And I had all my meals and then I take with me these, these thermos. They're just, you know, tin can thermos and I'll, I'll heat up a meal I always heat up, depending on how long the flight is, I'll heat up a meal or two or three. You know, I heated up five when I flew to Moscow because it was a 20 hour trip. With
2: That's, That's all? And, yeah, no, Brian, Brian used to travel to like 12 of those things. I know. <laughs> it took us 20 minutes to get through security.
1: Yeah, uh, I <laughs> up and show them the at security. You got to show them that it's not liquid. That it's, you know, I'm like, it's rice and burger and rice. But, uh, so I, you know, some people I tell this to, you know, I never miss a meal and I eat the food that I want in the right with the macro percentages. I like that feels good on my stomach. And I don't have to forage for stuff at, at room service or at the airport and, you know, end up sprinting to the bathroom with, you know, all the problems that occur when you're eating seed oils and crap like that, that I don't, don't agree with me, but uh, it, it saved me. A t- I went to one dinner with uh, uh, a few of the guys that were down there and it was like well over a hundred dollars, just my part. You know, the tab was like five hundred bucks for all of us, and I'm like, and people complained because uh, I, you know, I had steak. It was I think I retail it for like twelve fifty. You know, and I <laughs> yeah. ate steak five times a day, all four days. Uh, you oh, know, man. for for a steal for seventy bucks a day it was my yeah. food stipend, really. And then I'll, you know, I threw in some oranges and since I had the cooler, I threw in a, a thing of, uh, of Greek yogurt and a bag of frozen strawberries. And so uh, I had everything I needed the whole weekend. I never missed a meal and I was able to travel to Miami and home. And I always pack my meals. It's probably one of the biggest uh, life-changing tips that I, I try and provide for people along with the CPAP and the, uh, you know, getting adequate sodium intake and Uh, little things like that that just they just go make a huge difference in terms of somebody's uh, ability to comply with whatever program that they're on Mm -hmm. yeah
0: well brother we've taken a lot of your time and we really want to thank you for being on the show but before we let you go you've made such a big impact on you know not only people but the industry you know everything from business to bodybuilding to powerlifting what is it with all that you've accomplished and all the successes you've had you know what is it that what is the legacy you want to leave behind what it what is stan efforting leaving behind
1: well with respect to the industry i've really tried hard you know i i'm not the brightest guy in the industry there's like i say there's a lot of academic professionals i follow and listen to i really wanted to help other people i always said if i knew then what i know now it's like nick said we could have saved 15 years of hassle uh, <laughs> i really tried to put out a lot of information a lot of free information i did a, an entire seminar a two-hour seminar in iceland with hawthor that goes over my entire diet that's uh, it's got almost seven million views now uh, and then I've got all those rhinos rants that I was referring to today. And, and you could just binge watch those. I spent a lot of time writing those and, and, uh, and researching them to make sure I was giving out, you know, reasonable information. I'm not right about everything, but there's a lot of good, helpful information in there. And so as far as the industry goes, I, I, I enjoy it. I make a lot of posts on my Instagram, of people who use the word life changing and it really, you know, humbles and flatters me and that that's the most rewarding in terms of, uh, of my contribution to the industry is that I can help other people, uh, do this, uh, you know, with the information that I didn't have and just make their life a little easier, but, and, and make them more successful in their pursuit. Uh, beyond that, I think, you know, when I had my kids, I had kids late, I've got a seven and a nine year old. And, uh, you know, the one thing I learned as soon as they were born, because previous to that, I'd just been competing all my life, you know, since 1986, uh, the one thing you learn when you have kids is you're just not the most important person in the world anymore. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Up until that point, I, I had that, that mindset. Yeah. You know? It was all about my goals and, and my future. But, uh, I read a, a, a great book by Jordan Peterson. Uh, if you guys are familiar with the, the psychiatrist out of uh, Canada, who's gotten very popular, brilliant guy. And I think one of the chapters in the book uh, says, don't raise kids you hate. <laughs> <laughs> he says, there we go. Other yeah. people will hate them too and so my legacy is really just now invested in in trying to make sure that that i raise you know smart confident capable uh children and that's that's my total focus now i can't wait to get home to them uh you know i enjoy doing what i do but uh there's nothing like coming home and, and seeing your kids and trying to uh give them uh, all the information and the opportunity and the education that maybe you felt like 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 you maybe got didn't get enough for yourself, you know, and I, I was certainly afforded plenty of opportunities in my life, but uh, you know, I just think that we've acquired so much knowledge. Now we want to pass it on and see, you know, and watch them do even better than we did is whatever sport, you know, or or career they they choose. So that's uh, the career and, or that's the industry and uh, and kind of what I'm focused on now just in my personal life.
3: Yeah.
0: Well, very cool, brother. We, <clears throat> we love having you on. Uh, Nick, Ockham, you guys have anything else before we
3: get no, out of here? He's been a you know, wealth of information. i really enjoyed hearing him speak and I've learned a lot, you know, about, you know, the importance of blood work and I'm sure all the viewers are going to take that into consideration and get blood work done more often. So thank you so much, Stan, for coming on, man.
2: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I've learned a ton from it. it's It's one of the reasons why I can still do what I do and I can't, explain how grateful I am to you because I kind of ate sort of that way, but the, the fine tuning of it just made it the world a difference. And I really do appreciate that. And I thank you for it. That's and awesome. it's amazing. You're making people healthier in an in, in this industry. And that's, that goes miles and you're making people healthier just in general. Because if people ate more the way you did, we wouldn't have obesity problems. Yeah. And, and, just, and, it's a, and it's an easy diet to eat. And it's not difficult. It's And it's fun to eat. I think it's fun to eat. So anyway, I just want to say thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you, guys. And I just want to remind folks, uh, go to stanefferding.com and scroll down to blood test. I don't make anything. There's a link there where you can... Go to MerrickHealth.com and get a blood test. Uh, the budget blood test that I just typed up today and, and, and showed you uh, the little paper of, just DM me, at Stan Efforting, on my Instagram, and I'll just copy and paste this for you. And uh, uh, you can, it's 100 bucks, man. Go get a blood test. Get your blood pressure checked. If you've got any questions or if you've got a loved one, if you're the wife of a husband who's uh, you know deep into this pursuit that he's so passionate about, and he, maybe he's got his head in his sand. Yeah. And, uh, uh, some of the health issues. If he snores and wakes up tired, if you hear him breathing a little heavy, or if you're concerned about his blood pressure, reach out to me because we'll, you know, we'll do everything we can to to get people to to make a, a few minor changes that'll help keep him around uh, longer. So, yeah, you know, thanks you guys for the opportunity, to platform to speak to your audience.
0: Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. Well, <clears throat> on behalf of us and behalf of all the people's lives you change, we we want to say thank you very much. And uh, that's going to be our show for the day. So, everybody, thank you for viewing. Uh, this is Legends of Iron. We will see you next time.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Legends of Iron is brought to you by Muscle MuscleMeds is the creator of carnivore. Beef-built muscle and carnivore is the world's number one selling beef protein.